0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our series, Unstoppable, Bound in His Love, Freed by His Spirit, where we're journeying through what many call the greatest chapter in the Bible, Romans 8, to uncover a more lasting force than hard work and a more enduring purpose than momentary success. Thank you. Again, it's good to have Abe come as he continues in our series. You may be seated. This has been one of those series that I hope you have benefited so much from, unstoppable. Uh, I just appreciate Abe's heart in sharing the Word of God, and uh, we're asking God's Spirit to work in each of our hearts as He now leads us in the study of the Word. Thanks, Abe. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Vince. Good morning, church. <clears throat> You know, it's, um, it, it might not seem like a big deal to all of you, but to have a full complement of deacons and deaconesses and elders is a big deal. And so thankful for each one of them and the fact that we finally have that full complement to be able to serve you and to uh, assist you and to lift you up before the Father, uh, to take our needs as a campus up so that, uh, you know, to serve. Uh, that's their heart, to serve. And we're so thankful for, for all of them. <clears throat> Many years ago, um, Gatorade ran a a commercial, and I don't know if you've seen it. Some of you young ones have have definitely not seen it. Um, If you're my age or older, you probably have seen it. You see Michael Jordan on the basketball court, dribbling, shooting, playing a game, working up a sweat, and then somewhere along the the way, he takes a break, he goes to the sideline, and you see him drinking Gatorade. Then he goes back on the court, and he continues to dominate like he normally does. And the tagline of the commercial was very, very simple. It said, is it in you? Is it in you? They continued to develop that commercial over a number of years and they had other athletes and and other stars uh, participate in that and and they went so far as to um, get these athletes who were performing at a very high level who were exerting themselves uh, a great deal in whatever sport they were in you could see them in the commercials now starting to sweat neon green or neon orange It, it seems kind of contradictory to me to to think that you know Sweating bright green or bright orange is a good thing, right? I mean, I think that's some serious medical problems. But, but anyway, the, the point is, the point of the commercial was that if you, like these amazing athletes, were to drink Gatorade, you could, ex- you could perform at an exceedingly high level. The only problem with that commercial is everybody that they showed in the commercial was already super talented, super uh, athletic, it would have done almost no good. In fact, it would have done no good to have me in that commercial, in all of my mediocrity, drinking Gatorade just so that I could continue in my mediocrity for another 30 minutes on a pickup basketball game. But the point of the commercial is that if you drink it, that is Gatorade, then if that is in you then you will have the stamina, the strength, and the drive to excel in whatever sport or game you're playing. Make sense? Seems seems good, right? Is it in you? And that's the assurance that Gatorade wants to give you, that if you drink their stuff with all of their electrolytes and all of the formulation that they have in it, you too can perform like those stars, or at least we can dream about it. But this morning as we come to Romans chapter 8, the question I want to ask you is not is it in you, but is he in you? Gatorade wants to assure you that a, a high level of performance will come out of you if you drink it. But what if it's not an it, but a who? If he is in you, if God is in you, what does that make you? What does that allow you to do? What do you now have access to do? That's the question we're, probably, we're going to try to explore this morning in Romans chapter 8. We read Romans chapter 8. We're going to be in verses 9 through 17, and we're in a series called Unstoppable where we are. the subtitle is Bound in His Love, Freed by His Spirit. And over uh, two weeks ago, we, we looked at the end of chapter 7, and we saw the Apostle Paul wrestling it with this this civil war going on inside of him. The thing he wants to do, he can't do. But the thing he doesn't want to do, that's what he ends up doing. And he ends that chapter with a gut-wrenching cry, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? You remember that? And what was the answer to that cry? Thanks be to God for Jesus. Amen? How many of you are thankful for Jesus? Amen. Thanks be to God Jesus, because Jesus is the answer to that gut-wrenching cry. Last week, we looked at the first eight verses of chapter 8, and while chapter 7 was full of this civil war, talking about a personal pronouns, Paul was using I and me and mine all over chapter 7, but in chapter 8, there are no personal pronouns. What you find instead is over 20 references to the Spirit, making Romans chapter 8 the chapter of the Spirit. And so we saw last week that we who are in Christ stand with no condemnation. The the judgment is over. That has been already paid for. The, 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 The judgment that we owed has already been paid for by Jesus on the cross. That is why we have no condemnation, because we are in Jesus Christ. And so today we come to verses 9 to 17, and we're going to learn something a little differently. I heard Ray Ortland once say that the answer for Christians who aren't good at being Christians isn't more law, it's more of the Holy Spirit. For those of us who aren't really good at being Christians, it isn't more law, it's more of the Holy Spirit. I think you'd agree, wouldn't you? So Paul wants us to know that truth this morning, that if we are in Jesus Christ, that there are some wonderful, amazing blessings that we receive. And the main point I want to leave with you this morning is that believers who are in Jesus Christ are no longer slaves, but they are heirs with Jesus Christ. We are no longer slaves, but we are heirs with Jesus Christ. There are three blessings that I want to share with you from this passage of of Romans chapter 8 that come as a result of the fact that we are in Christ. And because we are in Christ, the first blessing we, we have is that we possess spiritual and resurrection life. We possess spiritual and resurrection life. Notice verses 9 through 11. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. I don't know if you notice the shift, but in verse number 9, the very, very first word is the word you. Up to this point, he has been talking third person, those of us who have been in Christ. But now he transitions from the third person to the second person, and he now addresses us, the readers, you. You and I are now in Jesus Christ. If that is true, then there are some blessings we receive because of our new location, because of our new status, because Jesus is in us. You know, when we surrendered our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ... The Holy Spirit came to dwell in us. Amen? The Holy Spirit, the moment we surrender our heart and life to Jesus, the moment we repented, the moment we accepted Christ as Lord and as Savior, the Holy Spirit came to take up residence in our lives. That's the truth. That's what the Bible teaches. And so back in chapter 7, we had this war going on. A war that was so focused on me and the, and the flesh and the sinful nature and all of the things that I couldn't do. But in chapter 8, it's no longer focused on me and what I can or cannot do. It's focused on Jesus and what Jesus did. And through the power of the Holy Spirit living in us, the freedom that he gives us, the new identity that he gives us, the new power that he gives us, that's what the focus is in chapter 8 no longer about the sinful nature, it's about the Spirit who comes to live inside each one of us. Now, that doesn't mean I don't sin, that doesn't mean I don't still struggle, it doesn't mean I don't have pain or sorrow, but what it does mean is that I don't have to do this alone. I have a powerful presence of the person of the Holy Spirit living within me who now empowers me, enables me, helps me to say no to sin and to say yes to God. That's the blessing we have. We have spiritual life because the Holy Spirit has come to live in each one of us. So we are not left alone to struggle in our sin with our own strength. We have the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to help us along. That's the spiritual reality that each one of us who are in Christ have. But that is the spiritual reality blessing that we have in jesus christ one preacher put it this way he said um you know that every one of us who were born in this world we were born in sin we were born with the fatal disease that ultimately culminates ultimately in death death is the result of the fact that we have a sin nature we were born under adam and because we were born under adam the ultimate destiny for every one of us is death one preacher put it this way he said The moment we enter into this world, we begin to live, but we also begin to die. Your first breath is one of your last you will ever take. The principle of decay leading to death is in every one of us. Aren't you glad to came to church today to hear that? But it's the truth. Our bodies decay. If you're over 50, you know what I mean. If you're under 50, you think life is ahead of you. Let me tell you, things that didn't ache before are aching now. Things I didn't want to know about are now happening. I mean, it just happens. Decay sets in. Things that used to work no longer work. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Why? Because we live in a world full of sin, and while we have been redeemed and the spiritual presence and life is in us to do righteousness, our bodies still grow old and we decay. We still grow old and we decay but there is a truth that comes that while we our bodies may decay what paul is saying in these verses is that we still have life and a life that is lived for righteousness empowered by the holy spirit and so while our bodies may die The inner man, the person that God has given us inside of us that has come to life when we gave our life to Jesus Christ, that inner man is coming to life with the power of the Holy Spirit. Righteousness is the fruit of living a life that is consistent with our new identity in Christ. We have a spiritual life that is the truth of those of us who are in Jesus Christ. But if you look, notice verses number 10 and 11. You notice there's a word if. If. Normally, when we see the word if, it raises a question, like, you know, if you're a tough guy, you'll, you know, or, or, or something like that, right, as if though there's a question. But these ifs that are here in verse 10 and 11 are not questions, they're first-class conditional statements, meaning it's better translated since or because, because we are in Christ. Because the Spirit of God dwells in us, notice what, what the truth is. Because or since the believer or the Spirit is in the believer, we have life. We used to live life in black and white or monochrome, if you remember monochrome. But now we live life because we're alive in Christ. We live it in high definition color. We have the Spirit of God who moves in us who works in us, who empowers us, who enables us to live a life that is consistent with who we are in Jesus Christ. We don't have to do it alone. The Spirit of God moves in our life to bring glory to God. And not only does the Holy Spirit bring us life, but notice the Holy Spirit also brings us the power of the resurrection in our lives as well. And so we're not looking forward to a day when God's going to hit the delete button on this creation, a lot of people think, this, is, this world is dead. We're just going to hit the delete button and start over. Friends, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that he is going to renew this creation, and he is going to renew our bodies, that our bodies one day will die and it will get buried. That is true. One day that's going to happen, but it's not going to stay dead, is it? One day, and we sang that song, one day a trumpet is going to sound, amen? And those of us who are dead in Christ, we are going to rise. And this mortal body that used to struggle with sin and struggle with sickness and struggle with disease and struggle with heartache and struggle with sorrow, this body that went into the ground, this body is going to get quickened and it's going to rise to new life. What Paul says is that if the, spirit of, 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 if the spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you, you too will have life. I don't know about you, but I'm waiting for that day. I really could use a whole new body. <laughs> Amen? <clears throat> because on that day, what went into the ground isn't wasn't coming up. What went into the ground was mortal. What comes out of the ground is immortal. This mortal body is going to put on immortality. This sick body is going to put on health. This sinful body is going to put on righteousness because God is going to put on us every blessing in heaven into this body. So this body that comes out of the ground will no longer suffer with sin, no longer suffer with sickness, no longer suffer with cancer, no longer have to deal with COVID, no longer have any heartbreaks, no longer have... Are you all hearing this? Yeah, maybe sometime in the future. Yeah, when I'm dead, I'll think about it. No, you won't. (laughs) Friends, that's what waits for all of us who are in Christ. Because if the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, you and I will rise on that day, and we will worship Him without sin, without distraction, without hindrance or roadblocks or obstacle. Why? No sin to mar that experience we will get to see him face to face and we will have nothing but pure worship. We had wonderful worship this morning, didn't we? But I got to tell you, when we see him face to face and when this body is renewed by the spirit of God, it's going to be a worship service like we've never experienced worship before. And we're going to worship him like we were meant to worship him. Amen? Amen? That's the blessing waiting for those who are in Jesus Christ. But that life that's coming, it's a life that's coming but is also now. We have living within us a down payment of the Spirit that will raise us up at the last day. And because He lives in us, He empowers us to worship Him. He empowers us to live for Him. That's why we have these spiritual and and resurrection blessings because the Holy Spirit lives in each one of us. There is not one bit of us that will end up in the dustbin of the universe Except your, except your sins, which you don't want anyway. We will be forever transformed. Praise God that He is coming and that trumpet will sound <clears throat> and we will rise again. But friends, that only happens <clears throat> for those who are, of us who are in Christ. If you're here this morning and you're not in Christ, that's not what your future holds. If you are in Christ, you look forward to a future with hope with faith, knowing that that eternity is going to be spent with God forever and ever. But if you're not in Christ, that is not your future. Your future is going to be an eternity spent apart from God because you said no to Him in this world. Friends, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ by faith, can I urge you humbly to ask Him to forgive you your sins, to repent, And to accept the free gift of the gospel of Jesus Christ, a free gift that you don't have to work for. You simply have to say, yes, Lord, I accept and I receive what you have done for me on the cross of Calvary. The moment you do, the Spirit of God will come to dwell in you, and you too can have this same blessing, this same hope, this same future, this same destiny. Amen? That's the blessing of those who are in Christ Jesus. The second blessing that we have if the Spirit of of Jesus dwells in us is that we owe nothing to the flesh. We owe nothing to the flesh. Notice verses 12 and 13. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, but to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You see, what Paul is saying is, we are not debtors. The, the word debtor, right? We go to, we go to breakfast with somebody at, at whatever place you like to go, and, and we go with a friend, and they pick up the check. What do you think about the next time you go to breakfast with that same person? Why? Why do you think you have to get the check? Because there's a debt that you want canceled. It, the word debt could also be translated Obligation. Right, You've heard the phrase, one good turn deserves another. It's the same idea. You see it in another country when you're driving around and you come to a stoplight and there's a young man with a spray bottle and a rag and they come and they they spray your windshield and they, they wipe it off and they clean it and then they stand by your door. Why are they standing by your door? They're hoping you feel obligated to give them some money. That's what Paul is talking about. He's saying, you and I who are in Christ, we are not debtors. We are not obligated to the flesh because the flesh has done us no favors. We have nothing that we owe the flesh. The only thing the flesh can hold on to is the law. But last week we saw, and over the last few weeks we saw, that the law, the righteous requirements of the law have already been fulfilled in Jesus Christ, amen? And because the righteous requirements of the law has been fulfilled, you and I, we owe the flesh nothing. And yet why do we think we owe the flesh something? We live as if though we are obligated to to the flesh. Friends, the, f- the flesh has done us no favors. In fact, the flesh has sought to harm us because its purpose, that sinful nature in us, seeks to kill us. That's what it wants to do. It wants nothing good from us. The debt or the obligation to the flesh has already been, been satisfied on the cross of Calvary. We don't need to pay it any longer. We have been set free. We are no longer debtors to the flesh, because Jesus paid it all. Amen? However, that doesn't absolve us of a responsibility. If you notice what verse 13 says, verse 13 reminds us that we have a responsibility to put to death the misdeeds of the body. This is what is commonly called the mortification of sin. It's where we as Christians, we who have the Spirit of God living in us, we who have given our lives over to Him and have surrendered control of our lives to Jesus, we have a responsibility, not to do it by ourselves, but with the power of the Spirit, to put to death the misdeeds of the body, right? Um, But what does that look like? The misdeeds of the body or the sins of the body are anything that we use our body for that doesn't glorify God or bless someone else. So what are the misdeeds of our body? What are the things that we're doing in our body that would fall into this category in verse number 13? Paul says, we have a responsibility to partner with the Spirit of God to put to death the misdeeds of the body. What does that look like? I want to take you to a parallel verse. Colossians chapter 3. Paul in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5 says something very similar. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. You see that phrase, put to death? Same, same phrase, same phrase. But here, Paul uses a different Greek word, similar but different. It's the word nekru. You don't have to know it, but it's the word nekru. Nekru has the idea of something being as good as dead. Physicians use that word necru to talk about atrophy. You know what atrophy is, right? It's when you don't use a part of your body for a while, and then what does it do? It atrophies. It gets weaker and weaker and weaker. In fact, sometimes our bodies atrophy because of disease, and that's why physicians use this word, necru, because disease has caused some part of our body while still present To no longer be as strong as or able for us to be to use. Make sense? That's necru. Here in Romans chapter 8 and verse 13, I think that idea should carry over. It's intentional atrophy. Because the words Paul uses in verse 13 are very definitive. He's calling us to intentionally atrophy. The misdeeds of the body. In other words, live in such a way where we say no to the things of the flesh, where we say no long enough to the things that our selfish, sinful desires are calling us to do, and over time, as we say no to those things, they atrophy. Make sense? And as they atrophy, they lose strength. They get weaker and weaker. Their call gets quieter. And quieter so that there's no longer any strength for those old things to have any say in our body. Amen? That's what he means by putting to death the misdeeds of the body. And that's what I believe verse 13 is telling us. We have to put to death some things. We have to let some things atrophy in our lives. Why? Because we are a new person with a new identity, with a new power in Jesus Christ. We cannot live that way anymore. We have been rescued out of that life. We have been saved out of that life. To go back to that kind of life is not consistent with who we are in Jesus Christ. And so we have to let some things atrophy, intentionally atrophy. So this morning, may I ask you, what are some of those things that are happening in your life, in my life, that we haven't quite said no to enough times? Every one of those things that we say yes to from our old life come in between us and God, and it blocks the blessing and the flow. It doesn't change relationship, but it gets between us and God. Friends, Paul is challenging us to think about our lives and perhaps that there's some things that we need to repent over, to say, Lord, I'm sorry for having said yes to that, to continue to live that way still. I hope and pray that that through the power of the Spirit, you can intentionally atrophy some of those old things that get in the way of our relationship with Jesus Christ. So not only do we possess spiritual and resurrection life, not only do we owe nothing to the flesh, but the third blessing we have in verses 14 to 17 is that if the Spirit dwells in us, we we have received adoption into God's family. We have received adoption into God's family. Verse 14 says, "'For all who are led by the Spirit of God "'are sons of God. "'For you did not receive the spirit of slavery "'to fall back into fear, <clears throat> "'but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons "'by who we cry, Abba, Father.'" The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. The fact that we as children of God who have the Spirit of God dwelling within us have no condemnation is wonderful. But underlying that truth is a relational truth that undergirds everything that we're talking about. The truth is, you and I are children of the living God, amen? That the fact that we have no condemnation, the fact that we have all these blessings, the fact that we have the Spirit of God living in us is true because we are sons and daughters of the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's the context in which all of these things are true. So we don't ever have to fear going back to our old way of life. We don't ever have to go back to being slaves of sin and death. We don't ever have to go back to that old way of life because God has rescued us from that old life and given us a new identity where he calls us son or he calls us daughter. Friends, I don't know how, you ever, how your family life was growing up, but this is a father who never rejects you, who never kicks you out of his house, who never yells at you he may discipline you but he loves you and that's what he's, Paul is saying that we are part of the family of God and that's a relationship unlike any other relationship you know if you're part of a family and most of you are if you have children perhaps this might even make more sense But we grew up in a family, there's lots of love and lots of laughs and lots of warm moments, isn't there? Thanksgiving is coming. The answer was yes, right? But there's also times when there's pain and there's sorrow and there's heartache, isn't there? As parents, sometimes it's hard to watch children do things that we know will hurt them and ultimately will hurt our heart it's hard to watch children make decisions that will impact them for their future it's hard isn't it as a parent you know what i'm talking about and yet none of these things will ever change the truth that you and i are children of god that no matter the mistakes we make no matter the failures that happen in our lives, no matter how bad we mess up in our lives Nothing changes the fundamental truth that we are sons and daughters of God. Amen? Nothing. He never looks down on you to say, I can't believe you did that again. No, He loves you, stands by you, wants to hold you up and help you through the tough stuff of life. He is our Father. And yet, I want you to notice that Paul here doesn't use a birth analogy. To describe our relationship with God. He uses adoption. Why adoption? Because a natural birth doesn't have the power or isn't as radical enough to explain the truth of our relationship with Christ. You see, adoptive children are biologically different than their adoptive parents, aren't they? The adopted child has a different set of genes than the adopted parent. Adoptive children are radically different than the adoptive parent. The parent-child relationship isn't established at birth. It's established some other time. In essence, an adoptive parent has to make a willful choice to welcome someone else's child into their home and into their family, right? That's a radical change. And that's what Jesus did for us, isn't he? We once belonged to sin and death. We were slaves of the wicked one. And Jesus walked by and he saw you and he saw me and he loved us and he purchased us out of the slave block of sin and he brought us into his family and he said, son, and he said, daughter, amen? That's what he did. He adopted you and he adopted me into his family. He made a willful choice to love you. Nothing will ever change that. And because we are now adopted into the family, this second part is beautiful because it gives us the right to call him Abba, Father. Abba is the Aramaic word for father. It's the word that Jesus used in all of his prayers to God the Father. It's the word that he used when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane where he said, Abba, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me, and yet not my will but yours be done, Abba. It's full of intimacy. It's full of relationship. It's beautiful in its power to understand or or to get us to understand the relationship we have with God. All too often, you and I, we hear that there is no condemnation. Praise God. What a relief. But we end up still seeing God as judge. We're always worried that God is standing over our shoulder watching everything we do, waiting to condemn us. I told you not to do that. See, you did it again. But that's not how God relates to us, my friends. It's important, yes, that God is judge, but friends, the gavel has already come down. He has already called us not guilty because of Jesus Christ. There is no condemnation in us. It's more important that we see God as Father. Let me read for you how Matt Chandler says it. This is how he puts the difference between seeing God as judge and seeing God as Father. He says, let me put it in more everyday terms. I don't want to go camping with the judge. I don't want to hang out with the judge. I don't want to have dinner with the judge. I don't want to throw the ball with the judge. I don't want to go see a movie with the judge and don't want to hang out with the judge. Now, I appreciate that he banged the gavel and said, I'm not guilty, but I don't know that we're going to be buddies. I just feel like the whole time we'd be at the movie, he'd be like, that's illegal. Somebody's going to have to pay for that. I cannot believe they use gamma radiation for that. I feel like it would always be this pointing out of what is right and what is wrong, and that's the kind of picture in my mind. Really, when you think about a judge, you don't go, man, I'd really like to spend some time with that guy, right? But dad? Man, I want to camp with dad. I want to go see a movie with dad. I want to play cats with dad. I want to go on vacation with dad. I want to hang out with dad. I want to hear what dad has to say. I want want dad to hear what I have to say. I want dad to be proud of me. I want dad, right? That changes everything, doesn't it? Because we have an Abba father, a daddy in heaven that we can go to at any time, at any place, with any problem and cry out, Father, Daddy, Abba, I need help. I'm here again, help me. Friends, we have a new location in Christ that changes everything. We have a new relationship with God that allows us to not see Him only as judge, but to see Him as a loving Father. You see, no matter what happens in our life, He's always by our side, always willing to help us, always willing to to take us to the next level, always willing to help pick us up when we fall. And sorrows will come, failures will come, hardships will come, but never forget that Daddy's got you. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Why? Daddy's got you. Daddy's got all of us. He is you and I and every one of us who are in Christ are in the palm of his hand. We are never far from him. When we reject him, when we say no to him, when we fail him, when we come short of his glory, he's not standing there with a gavel to pronounce guilt on us. No, no, he's standing there with his arms wide open saying, welcome home. Daddy's got you. Friends, I don't know if this is you, and I don't know how you see God, but this changes our entire perspective of God, doesn't it? When we can see God as daddy, that daddy's got us, through the thick and thin of life, Daddy's got us. When we fail, Daddy's got us. When we succeed, Daddy's got us. When anything happens in our life, Daddy's got us. When we have that picture in our mind, our whole life takes on a whole new color, doesn't it? And because we are adopted into the family of God and because we have the right to call him Abba, Father, Paul also tells us that we are heirs together with Jesus Christ. Do you know what that means? That everything that belongs to God belongs to Jesus. And everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to who? To us. If we are in Christ, then everything heaven has to offer ultimately belongs to us. But you know what the best thing in all of heaven is? God himself. You see, I can't wait for the day the trumpet sounds. I can't wait for the day when I get to rise and I get to see my father who I lost a long time ago. But more than all of that, I get to see my father. I get to see him, because he's my inheritance. There's a snippet of a song, and I'm, I'm late, but I, I just got to read the song. We sang this song a couple of weeks ago. It's titled, No Longer Slaves. <clears throat> just some snippets. From my mother's womb, you have chosen me. Love has called my name. I've been born again to a family. Your blood flows through my veins. I am no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. You split the sea so I could walk right through it. My fears are drowned in perfect love. You rescued me and I will stand and sing. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Can you say that with me? I am no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Friends, if you're here today and you can't say that, If you're still caught in fear, you're still afraid of a a judge who is going to bring that gavel down and call you guilty. Can I tell you, that debt has already been paid. Two thousand years ago on a cross, Jesus went, hanging on three nails, bleeding from every side, a crown of thorns on his head, his back ripped open. Why? Not because of what he did, but because of what you and I did. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, I encourage you to come to know him. But friends, for those of us who do know him, let's remember that our daddy's got us, that we love him because he first loved us. He chose us, he adopted us, he gave us the right to call him daddy, and he says, all that I have is yours. I praise and thank God for every one of you who know and love Jesus Christ. If you have your communion cups, <clears throat> I'd invite you to take them. For those of you who are online, if you would take your communion elements. And, as, and if you don't have a communion element, if you just raise up your hand, we have some people who'd come and get those to you. In every prayer Jesus prayed, he called God, Abba, Father, except one. And do you know where he didn't call God, Father somewhere between noon and 3 p.m., on a cross when God had turned off the lights and when the cup of the wrath of sin was being poured out upon the sinless, spotless, perfect Lamb of God, when He who knew no sin became sin for us, Jesus on that cross, for the very, very first time in all of eternity, felt alone. For all of eternity, He had been in Wonderful, perfect, loving communion with the Father. But there on the cross, when he who knew no sin became sin for you and me, God turned his back on him. And instead of calling him Abba, Jesus cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Friends, for the rejection you and I should have paid. For the penalty you and I should have paid, for the judgment you and I should have carried, for the condemnation that should have been rightfully on us, Jesus on the cross cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you know why? God the Father forsake God the Son because He loved every one of you.